So I want to welcome Sue and Clive to the podcast and they are our first guests. Uh, Christy's here with me um, to to join in with the conversation as well. I'm Andrew and we are do want to have a conversation about Sue and Clive, hear a bit about their story and uh, some of the things that they're involved in. So hello Sue. Good morning Andrew, nice to see you. And hello Clive. Hi Andrew, nice to see you too. And we're in uh, the same house, Sue and Clive are anyway. They, they are uh, in different rooms, but on different streams, but in the same house. And uh, you both live together. You're both partners, uh, husband and wife. Yeah, yeah. yeah we've, um, uh, we're, we're husband and wife. And we've got uh, two children, Harriet and Seb. And uh, to our absolute astonishment, they're 16 now. So, yeah. And uh, Harriet and Seb were, uh, were were born not long after we moved to Cumbria, so they've had a, a lovely life in Cumbria, and it's probably one of the reasons we moved here, because we wanted to start a family, and it's uh, yeah, it's, it's a great place for that, I have to say, fantastic. Yeah, I agree, Christy. I think you've got children as well, around about the same age. George is also sixteen, so George was sixteen in September. So when when's their, when's their birthday? Is it? I'll be 17 in February, so we've got the uh, learning to drive as the next big milestone, which is hard to believe. But uh, yeah, and being twins, we've got double double everything all <laughs> happening at the same time. So so George is just 16, is he or is he? Yeah, he's in his in his PCSE year, so you're, you're right. at their A-levels. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're in year 13. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, well, mine, <clears throat> mine are a bit younger, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> five, three and zero. But I understand you've also just moved house uh, in the last couple of months as well. Yeah, when, when we first, um, well, not, not the first house we moved in when we moved to Cumbria, but when um, Harriet and Seb were on their way, we, um, we uh, were lucky enough to, to get hold of a big old rundown house with a bit of land. Um, and that was great for kids. So we, we had a donkey uh, that was brilliant. And um, the donkey loved me but hated everybody else. I think he kicked Seb, he bit him, and he, he chased Harriet. But he used to come up and give me quite a bit of love. But, uh, and then we had a little pony. But, of course, all of that is when when kids are four, five, six, seven, you know what I mean? But yeah. now they're 16, it's, um, oh, we don't want that now. We want to move a bit where there's a bit more life. Uh, so we moved from uh, a village that was very rural to uh, another village, but to us it's like a town. You know, it's great. There's lots of things going on. Uh, so we were yeah. living the dream, weren't we? Really, when we uh, when we moved to our previous village because it was very remote, and we had Tommy the donkey, and he we had him from a a baby, and we put him in this little stable, and you know, when the kids were like two or three, and we'd look at Look at the star above the stable. The donkey's in there. It was just like, yeah, but it didn't last. He soon became quite aggressive. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was. We were living the dream. But now we've moved in for a bit, bit more life, really. And there's a lot more going on in Moreland. There's lots of children. There's a school. And the, obviously the church here is really vibrant as well, which is good. So, yeah, it's great. And the house isn't drafty and old. <laughs> <laughs> great. And just to uh, help us uh, understand a bit of your background as well together, how, how did you both meet? Tell us a little bit about your love story. Wow. Love we story. met We met in the Midlands. 
It's not very romantic, is it? We met in Droitwich. Droitwich. Uh, we were, yeah. We were both working for um, uh, MENCAP, Royal Society for uh, Handicapped Children and Adults, as it was then. So MENCAP, and we met at work. And um, we both had quite senior positions within MENCAP and were quite happy. And Clive decided to apply for a position up in Cumbria. Um, we weren't married or anything then. And he said, do you want to move up with me? And I'm thinking, oh, because at the time I was into, you know, shopping and nightclubs and, and all that jazz. Um, and I hadn't come to faith then either. I think I was a very, quite a different person really. But anyway, so we moved up to Cumbria and it was a bit of a shock, wasn't it, Clive? Real shock to the system. Well, I, I, I loved the move because one of my pride and joys at the time, as well as obviously Sue, was um, <clears throat> an old 1959 Land Rover. And it looked just dead out of place in uh, in Droitwich. But of course, when we when we drove it up the motorway at about 40 miles an hour all the way from the Midlands, and as soon as it hit the little lanes in Cumbria, it was at home. Mm. And I was at home. And we moved into, we rented a little place that was an old cow house in Sedba. And and it literally was. It was it was lovely, it was all renovated, but just outside of the house, there were loads of cows trying to get in every day. You know what I mean? And it was, uh, but it was just beautiful, wasn't it? Um, and you know, with the Land Rover and Sue, and you know, a new life in Cumbria, it worked well. It was good. Yeah, it was. It was a shock. I remember the very first night saying to Clive, "Clive, I can't see my hand in front of my face because we're just so used to light pollution living in." You know, it was. It was just weird but yeah it's great and we've never looked back Cumbria is a fantastic place to bring up a family and um yeah the, the connections and the relationships we've made I think it's been it's been fantastic it feels definitely it's home now I mean we're we've only been here oh 1996 was it so that's yeah so we're probably still off comers but we we, we think of it's home definitely Cumbria has changed you as a person then too I think it probably has to take a much more slower pace of life um, and that friendship and yeah I think it has it's it there's a lot more space and there's a lot more time to think and be present and I think that's helped um, but it's yeah I mean I think Cambridge is great and it, as I said it just definitely feels like home now definitely and you were saying it's like you hadn't come away. So do you want to tell us a little bit of the story about how that happened? Yeah, well, it, it kind of all seemed to happen all at once, really. Um, I guess as a child, I was, uh, my mum and dad, they, they came from quite a rural background and they, um, you know, my mum would go to chapel and things like that. Um, but, and I've still got a picture of her holding her Bible on her wedding day and things like that. But really as a, as an adolescent, I was really quite, um, I was probably even more than agnostic. I was probably, by the time I got to uni, I was probably quite an atheist, really. You know, I'd done my politics degree and I was really, you know, thought I knew what everything was about. Um, and then I met somebody actually at, at work who um, was a, a pastor. Um, and he's just, we just started talking about things really and about, he obviously was a Christian and had come to faith, etc. And then a number of things happened. Clive and I lost a baby. Um, 
I lost my dad all around the same time. And um, I just, people started praying for me and I thought, well, that's all very well. But, you know, um, and then over time, it, it was almost like, the only way I can describe it, it's like for me, it was like tuning into a radio station. I suddenly somehow just got it. I mean, I'm still not the most, you know, into the scripture. You, you know, I can't recite the Bible. Um, uh, I dip in sort of most days if I can, but I, I'm not certainly know my scripture. But it was it was almost as if I got it and I understood. And I always remember a friend of mine at university who was a Christian. She went out to Zimbabwe to do some missionary work with her husband and she said to me so one day you will you will come to faith and you will know God and I'm like yeah whatever um and then after that I I um asked to be uh because I hadn't been baptized as a child because I was living in Australia at the time um so I was I was I asked if I could be confirmed and so I was confirmed at the age of 30 was I 35 something like that in a church in Cumbria um, and I haven't looked back since really I've just I think my faith is still growing um, and I still don't have all the answers obviously but um, yeah I feel like <clears throat> I get it I know I, I get it I think that's the, the main thing. Mm. And how about yourself Clive in, in terms of going along and, and being with Sue in this journey as well how has your journey uh, progressed? Oh, my my journey is um, is is a strange one for me because um, I I sort of uh, it's weird. I mean, I I sort of believe very much that I've never actually made a decision. That's a weird thing to say, isn't it? But um, for me, and it and it goes back to it. It always goes back to people when I meet people at parties and things like that. I say, like, what do you do? Um, and I hate that question because I, I, it's a really difficult question to answer because uh, what I do is, is quite a lot of things with the, with the couple of charities I run. But where I, where I started from really was um, I wanted to be an architect, you know. That, that was my plan. And uh, I left school and I went to college and I was going to be an architect. And then, um, and then things started to happen, really. I, st I started, uh, I was invited to go and do some summer work in a children's home. Uh, and, and I did that and really liked it. And then somebody there said, um, my, my partner works in a home for adolescent teenagers. And do you want to go and do some work there? And I thought, yeah, that's all right. So I went there and did that. And then someone said, there's a... There's a, there's a job going, working with people with learning disabilities. And I thought, well, okay, I'll go and do that. So I went and did that. Um, and then I was working there, and the, the guy who runs it, I was having a conversation with him one day, and he said, he said, uh, oh, if you want to want my job in the future, you have to do your training. And I said, well, where did you do yours? And he said, Southampton. And within two months, I was in Southampton doing my nurse training. And, and then, <laughs> it's weird, because then... What happened then was part of the training that you do for three years, you do various placements, not only in the hospital, but also in the community. And there was a place in Lyndhurst in the New Forest, which was a home for people with learning disabilities. And I went there for three-month placement and loved it. 
I didn't think anything more about it. And then I, would, I just finished my training and the guy who runs that place phoned up and said, Clive, we've got a job. Do you want it? So I went and did that, you know. And then Mencat was setting up their first home for people with learning disabilities in Southampton. And the people from Lindhurst, the people with learning disabilities, were going to move to this new home, or some of them were. And Mencat phoned me up and said, do you want to come and run this house? All right, then. So I went and ran that house. And then Mencat phoned me up again and said, we're doing some developments in Salisbury. Do you want to come and run those and develop stuff there? All right, then. So I went and did that. And then they phoned me up again and said, we've got some problems in Birmingham. Do you want to come and run some stuff in Birmingham? All right. So I went and did that. And then I met Sue. And then I remember one day just opening a magazine and in there was a, was a job uh, in Cumbria working for a, a charity called Oakley Trust, which was small. It just it was in the south of Cumbria for people with learning disabilities, had a few homes. So I thought, I'll, I'll have a go. So I, I sent off a letter, and next thing I know, they're offering me a job, and that's when I met Sue and said, you fancy coming to Cumbria? And then we ended up in Cumbria. And then these organisations have grown. Oakley was, I think it had... Uh, 500,000 turnover and small staff. It's now 8 million, 89 million across the north of England. And we developed another company as well, another charity to support people into work and training. So Oakley does lots of care and support. Um, so I've done that. I met Sue along the way, but I felt like I never, ever got to be an architect. Do you know what I mean? That was my plan. But it was just, I was just taken off at a different tangent. And then things, the path was kind of, I don't know, given to me or steered to me. I was in this groove that, um, that led me to where I am now. So, you know, that whole thing about, well, um, the, the next question is, well, what makes you do what you do? Um, and, and my answer to that is, I really don't know. You know, it just, it just has gone in that groove and I love it. I don't feel I've ever worked a day because it's just been a way of life. Um, but actually, I wouldn't have it any other way. So it's worked really well, and it's just been a flow of stuff, you know. Um, I was going to say, the words that came to my mind was, you know, you're, the, you're, you're a person who who's, goes with the flow. You know, oh, yeah. something kind of open up and you think, all right, oh, I'll, try, I'll try that. You know, do you, do you feel that, you, you know, is that all just coincidence or is there, is there some guiding principle in there or you know you know the good thing about sort of having a belief which which I do is that actually I, I don't worry um because uh, I mean the, the the work that I do I mean we've, we've got somewhere in total of about 500 staff and lots of people with lots of problems um and my job tends to be if, if the problem gets to me it's a big one do you know what I mean um but I don't ever worry about it because I know there's always an answer um, that will come to me. And often it comes to me the next day. Um, and I, I, will, I will have a problem and I think, you know, that whole thing about sleep on it. Well, literally I do. I always wake up in the middle of the night. That's what happens. But come the next morning, I'll always have the answer. And that's kind of, so I've got that faith always behind me. So I'm, I'm really lucky and fortunate that um, I feel like... Um, like I'm being watched over and guided all the time. 
Um, I'm a little bit unhappy because they never got to be my architect, but you know that was obviously not the plan. They were not meant to be. Not meant to be. I'd have probably been a rubbish architect, I have to say. Um, I'm not. I don't know how good I am at what I do, but um, it's uh, it's certainly uh, not been not been a choice I made. <laughs> but I wouldn't have it any other way. Nice one. That's what I say. Yeah. And so you're both now working for the Oakley Trust and in different ways. And I don't know if you could tell us a little bit about the roles you have and a little bit maybe more about what you do in this area in the north, because it is quite an expansive area that you cover. Hmm. Um, well, I think for people that don't know Oakley Trust, as Clive said, I won't give you the whole history. Um, but basically it did start off as a, as a charity for people with learning disabilities. Um, and then um, since we've got involved, really, what we've, for me anyway, and, and I think Clive would agree, is what we've tried to do is go where go where there's a need. So don't do something where there isn't a need. If there's a gap or there's a need, there's demand, let's go for it. So we now work with, which for me is, again, an expression of, of faith, really, the people we work with. We work with the lonely. We work with the bereaved. We work with the disabled. We work with those facing poverty or living in poor living conditions. We work with people with mental health. We work with um, disaffected families and children that are um, perhaps struggling to find a place in their local community. So we work with a range of different um, groups, really. And as an organisation, I think, Clive, it's fair to say we try to shape it to be different from perhaps the usual sort of care pro provider. Um, We've, for example, we've developed, we've got a workplace behaviour for our staff and the top, we've got a number of them, but the top one is be kind. And that for me is, you know, love your neighbour, love God. And, and at the heart of what we do, just be kind. And I think if we can get our employees to, if nothing else, but be kind, um, that, that goes a long, long way. So with regards to my role, I oversee all the operations. Um, so I... Uh, oversee the the care and support and the right to work company as well which as Clive said is more about community and about employment so on a day-to-day -day basis I probably well every day is different but I oversee regional managers um, we develop new businesses and new projects we've got a number of things going on at the moment we've got an exciting new project this isn't a pitch by the way we've got a new project called Youth Futures which we're really excited about and we've got something called Learning to Live, which is in Windermere, which is going to be a, an alternative to residential college where people can learn uh, independent skills and then get support into work. So it's, it's great. As Clive said, we're really lucky. We're really living out our faith and, you know, Ubi characters where charity and love God is found. You know, I really feel by doing charitable work, I feel like I'm being able to express my my faith in a in a really positive way that's my role yeah Why, do you want to briefly talk about your role yeah i do all that <laughs> no my, my role is um is uh I'm, I'm the chief exec of both companies so um yeah i i guess the book stops with me but um in in a sense uh i have fantastic really fantastic people that that work for me. So, um, and I, I, I meet with these guys regularly and what happens is 
decisions that we make are not solely mine, they never are. It's, it's a total joint approach. I also um, meet with uh, um, our, our employees that are directly on the front line and stuff like that. So people often say we're a bit of a family organization. I think we are, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, there's a very, very nice culture. Like any organization, we sometimes, you know, we have our problems. But on the whole, um, I have to say it's, it's an absolute joy. Um, so, yeah. There you go. Yeah. So what I do is, you know, everything that's I actually line manage Sue, which is weird. Husband and wife line managing one another, but it 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 has never ever been a problem. It's been uh, a joy. So I can support Sue. Sue comes up with some ideas, and you know we put them together uh, between us, and vice versa. You know, so um, it works really really well. Uh, Sue, do you agree with that? Uh... It's never been a problem. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we try not to. We don't. We, we, we don't generally. T- and it's been hard in COVID actually because we always made a rule that we wouldn't talk about work at home, so that we would have a. a, a, a so I don't think it's appropriate or professional to do that. But obviously, because we're increasingly working from home, uh, all the all the edges get a bit blurred. But. Um, no, no, it's a healthy, I think we've got a healthy culture. And people who who have left us or moved on have said, and then have come back to us saying that Oakley feels like a family. Mm. It does um, as much as possible. Um, it's hard when you, um, and that's why we've tried not to go beyond perhaps the north of England, I guess. If we started becoming much bigger, whether we lose that um, feel, I don't know. But I, what I really, and I pray a lot about this, I try to say, is what is it that we should be doing lord and then i feel hopefully that we're the charity is being guided in some way so we're not doing stuff for doing its sake but that somehow that there's there's a need or a gap that we're trying to to fill and and thank you for sharing about the the trust and all that you're doing as well it sounds like an amazing charity uh and i my background and is is to do with mencap as well. I, I when I first left university, I started working for a local mencap group and wow. working with uh, young people with learning disabilities. And the the work it, it's sometimes hard work, but amazingly uh, life giving work. I guess mm-hmm. when you're working with people um, who are often on the edges of society. I guess and yeah. you seem to have expanded that work of the people on the edges, the people who are often dismissed yeah. or, or forgotten, uh, mm-hmm. outcast, uh, and, and working particularly with those people. It seems like a very much that um, a, a calling that Jesus puts uh, to all Christians to, to, to treat those people who are often outcast, who are often um, mm-hmm. forgotten, to, to, not, to not forget, but actually to treat them as we would treat Christ. And I find that a fascinating uh, thing that you're doing and wonderful uh, to see that faith in action in such a a tangible uh, way. And uh, this is... I suppose it's about not, it's about not judging, isn't it, Andrew? I think we're not, we're on earth, we're not here to judge, are we? And I think a lot of the people that we support, by a lot of people are judged by the way they look or the way they behave or, you know, because they're not acting in a particular way and I suppose what we're trying to do is to say you know we're all we all have gifts 
And we do a lot of that in our work in terms of our staff. We say to them, you know, work the people you're working with, what gifts do they have? Even some of the people we support that have no communication or might only be able to blink an eye. It's really hard, but let's look at what gifts people have. Um, and I'm, I'm, I think that's a, a line, really, from the, from the scripture somewhere. It is, yeah. As a unique human being made in the image of God, isn't it? And, and actually, um, what I was thinking when you were talking about it was, you know, that this is, this, is the val- this is the values of the kingdom of God when Jesus said the kingdom of God is near. And, and then he read, in, you know, when he, when he first started his ministry, he went into the temple and read from Isaiah, you know, the spirit of the Lord God is on me and he's going to, he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor and to set the prisoners free and to, you know, raise up the outcasts. And, and all of that is, and all of that he modelled in his ministry, didn't he? He spent mm. people that other people didn't have the time of day for. Yeah. Yeah, and that is, I, I mean, something that we... I think if, if we can support you, uh, those people who might want to listen on the podcast uh, and things, is there ways of being able to support what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, we're always looking for volunteers um, in in so many different guises. I, I wouldn't. You, we've got volunteers that range from people that are helping us with joinery in some projects where we've got furniture to youth groups to... Um, befriending elderly people that perhaps don't see anybody on a daily basis there's a whole range um, of different uh, gifts that people can bring to us that we would consider most definitely yeah i think it's um there's there's some um some really interesting stuff going on at the moment in um our subsidiary company right to work which is a, a cic charity and um what it's what it's about you said you work from NCAP. what 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 um what it's about really is that letting people um do things that anybody else can do letting them have a go at everything they want to do and uh we've started up a a, a, a business within right to work which is called community works and that goes out and does what it does it, it's it's almost like a little building firm and it goes out and helps people it can it can help somebody in their own home who just need light bulbs changing for instance uh, but on the other hand it can also go out and it's just uh, refurbished Appleby football club and things like that um, and uh, what it is is you, you we employ builders but we also people with um, learning disabilities or mental health issues go along and they also learn the trade and they're part of the work group as well which which is really brilliant works really well but actually on the on the right to work board because it, uh, it's growing we do need a couple of more volunteers on the board there and what we're what we're really after um we're really after a couple of people who have um a bit of an entrepreneurial business mind because we do a lot of things we always like to sort of feel whether we are or not, I think we are. We always like to be ahead of the curve, ahead of the game, and just sort of look for new opportunities that we can expand for the people we support. Be it, you know, um, Appleby Hub and the, the, the cafe and the recycling stuff that we do and the collection of bulky waste that happens and 
as I say, the community works, all of those things are all little businesses under the banner of right to work. And it's, we want to grow that and expand that. So a couple of people that have, um, have a bit of spark around, uh, around business and want to give us a bit of time, you know, Alan Sugar, something like that. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that would be, that would be really good. We are just about to put out some adverts to that. It is voluntary, hmm. but you know, it's just fantastic stuff to get involved. I'm glad you mentioned community works actually, because that is something it's like for me is a win-win-win because you've got, for example, we've just been doing some um, outside classrooms for some primary schools in the Kendall area. So you've got it's to see it. It's just amazing. You've got people perhaps that have got a mental health issue or a learning disability that are really, you know may have low self-esteem they're being equipped to, to learn new skills in an environment where you've got you know young people that are excited about the adventure playground we've just built them and it's just the 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 dynamics it's just really really powerful it's really really good so yeah if we've got anybody that wants to join the board for right to work that would be really really good well, there you are we'll put some sort of contact details uh on a, in, in the description <laughs> to, to get in contact with Oakley Trust and if anyone wants to do uh some volunteer work with yourselves um then get in contact uh, and it sounds like something where people can really I think a lot of people find themselves wanting to help you know people with faith and without faith often you know wanting to do something that benefits the community benefits people who are struggling or or maybe in need in some way and that often it's finding those opportunities and finding the right fit i guess as well and you know clive's saying people with entrepreneur skills you know often might not think in this way but actually these these skills are helpful you know exactly we we you know, we have a lot of people that have skills in uh, softer skills like, uh, you know, education, health, those sort of things. But actually, sometimes you need somebody who's also can sort of think, right, OK, there's there's something we can develop here that, that would be really good. So, you know, you, you do need that as well. You need a bit of a breadth. Um, it's a challenge that for the church as well, isn't it? I think the church as an organisation, if you like, was an establishment um we're probably full of really nice people, like you said, Clive. But it sometimes you need somebody who'll say, "Well, how about doing a podcast?" Or how about doing? Sometimes you do need to think out the box, don't you? And and sometimes just that fresh input just gets people thinking, which is really healthy. I think. I was going to visit some friends a week or so ago who who've just come back to the UK from Lawi. And they've been out in Africa for quite a few years. And what they've been doing is helping local Christians to set up their own businesses, um, partly for just to, to provide a living for them and, and, and to provide, provide jobs for people in the community. Which It's not just, I mean, that's, mm. you know, and, and too, um, but also Christian work. So, so what's been happening with people who... Um, they can't afford to pay people to be full-time pastors or missionaries, but they, they work half-time in the business and spend half their time um, running churches or um, sharing the gospel with people. And so they're providing them with the tools to actually be self-sustaining. Mm -hmm. um, the, 
you know, they came back and were talking to me and I, I, they're, they're writing up now what they've learned over the many years and they said, I think that this is something which the church in the UK needs, <laughs> you know, as much as the, the people in Africa. And they said, oh, absolutely. And we think there's lots of transferable um, learning from what we've been doing. And it sounds in some ways, not exactly the same, obviously, but quite similar to some of your thoughts mm. on Oakley. Yeah, there's a lot of, obviously, lots of ways in which people can get involved with different charities and, and help but I, I am I am wanting just to, to focus in a little bit about I mean Clive you kind of said you felt almost led into this uh this way of, uh, of being you wanted to be an architect but you found yourself working in in this in this sense is there something that you find you've said as well that you you feel as if there's a you haven't really worked a day in your life as well is there something that really you find is life-giving uh, in this particular role and and what is it do you think that's uh, that gives you that that sense of um fulfillment i guess um that's that's a cracking question that to be quite honest um mm, let me think about that i think the thing about this role that i do that gives the fulfillment, let's think. You know, it's around it's around individual stories. I'd, I have hundreds of them um, that, uh, that I've, I've seen happen along the way. Um, and I remember when we first started Right to Work, um, I wasn't sure about it. There was a lot of people that were saying, oh, it'll never work. And then we sort of said, yeah, it's got to work, it's got to work. And one of the things we started with was, was I remember one of the first young man, men we worked with who had severe autism and his family were very, um, very concerned. They, kept, they, they, they were always told, never amount to anything, can't do anything. And uh, this, this guy came to us, he's one of the first people we worked with. And what we didn't want to do, we didn't want to sort of get people jobs that were meaningless and I'm not saying stacking trolleys and things like that is meaningless because that's an important job to do but with this guy he had some fantastic skills that were really a gift to him as part of his autism which was really the fact that he and you've heard stories about this but he was fabulous absolutely fabulous mathematically that he was he was unbelievable but his social skills were appalling um and uh, anyway we got him a job in the end we got him a job after quite a bit of work with him so it's kind of the first job placements we now had hundreds but his first job placement was in the tax office that at that time was in kendall and um he's uh, he absolutely adored it and the colleagues around him took it took a bit of adjusting them because they suddenly had this new colleague who actually wouldn't look at them in the face but got his head down and did his work but eventually with everybody being supportive and us continuing to support him in the workplace he became a real valued colleague and one of his joys was actually going out for like a Christmas do with his workmates I mean this was just a step and a half for this guy fabulous so that those kind of things and those kind of stories that you get involved in, and that guy, you know, made made a fantastic job. 
And I'm going to tell you one more. And I know you, you, you know, oh, but this one I love, which is a, a young man who's, when I first met him, he, he left Longstay Hospital. He came to us and we were funded by the local authority to have two staff around him at all times because this guy found it very difficult to go out and out about the community. He would lash out. So you needed two staff around him all the time. And whenever I used to meet him, he always used to shout expletives at me in a very aggressive way because he saw me as a, a figure of authority and so he like he hated me. But now he's gone through a journey now and today um, he has a job and his job is he's employed by Oakley and he's a valued member of our staff. He now lives in his own uh, self-contained uh, flat. He still has support, but he has support to help him now and again with his meal times and all those sort of things. Now, that, that doesn't sound fantastic, but for him, for him, that is a fantastic journey. So he has his own place. He has his own job. He has his own mates and he does his own thing. Now, that was a guy that was locked up at one point. Um, and, you know, those, those are the things that uh, are important. Not the fact that we, get, we have a balance sheet, not that, you know, um, it's the fact that those little things uh, really, really help people. And that's good. I like that. I like I can do that. That's slightly better than being an architecture. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fascinating that you're saying these stories, especially as I think in the last kind of couple of nights on BBC News, there's been some uh, stories about uh, some of the issues where people are being locked up because of their disabilities and are being kept in rooms, which, uh, you know, it, it sounds horrific uh, in this country. And the way in which, we, again, we talk about the forgotten people and the people who might not, we want to kind of put on the sides of society who don't quite fit in. And yet, if we work at it, it sounds like you're doing this at the front line and doing an amazing job. If, if, it, if we work at it, if we really value people of whoever they are, of whatever abilities they have, you know, then we can, we can see lives changed. And also, uh, our society changed for the better, not just in terms of acceptance of people, which is, absolutely important but also that saying as sue said you know that the the um the unwrapping of the gifts that they have to to give to others uh, really really important stuff that you're doing and again i think a lot of people will be i think really pleased to hear that kind of work is going on um sue just uh, as we i'm going to go into the last kind of questions now because we've been talking for over half an hour but your um, role also goes, you have another role in Carlisle Diocese and also uh, within the mission community. And you, do you want to tell us a little bit about the role that you do in the diocese at the moment? Yeah. Um, now, this is, I suppose I'm going to be opening up here. I don't know how many Sorry. people are going to be listening to this podcast. Um, <laughs> but probably about, uh, would it be 10 years ago? Maybe more. I had... I don't hear voices, but I I had something come to mind. So it happened three, I wake up every morning, it happened three times. And the words were, take the heart 
out of the lion and put it into the mouth of the lamb. Now, if anybody out there can tell me what that means, I would be really chuffed. Because I remember saying to Clive, Clive, what on earth? Doesn't it? It's not even words I would use. Take the heart out of the lion, put it into the mouth of the lamb. And I still don't know what it means. But what I what I wonder is because I've um, increasingly got involved in perhaps some of the Church of England management, if you like, in terms of I'm now a, a director on the Diocesan Board of Finance. So that kind of oversees not the mission, but oversees the finances of the organisation so that it can do its mission. Um, and the more I get involved in those sort of things, I wonder is is this something about me trying to um, support a process that allows there to be a more of a connection between the person in the pew or the Christian on the ground and what is this big, unwieldy organisation where people wear strange robes and, you know, high church? And I don't know, but I, I'm still trying to work it out. I still ask, you know, please can you explain? <laughs> Um, but it's, I find the role fascinating because it's a real insight into how the Church of England works. Um, and of course, a lot of it is linked to very old statutes and traditions, etc. But what we're really excited about is with mission communities is that we're hoping that we can do things at a much more local level so that you get local ownership. And it isn't just about going to church on a Sunday, that there will be all sorts of different things that people can get involved with. And I think... What I'd like to see is that we we start doing things that are not perhaps traditional in terms of its, uh, you know, rather than just thinking I have to go to church on a Sunday, that there are other ways that you can experience the Holy Spirit, you can experience what God is trying to do and explain um, what we should be doing as Christians. So I think there's a lot more work to do and there's a lot more um questions and answers probably at the moment but I, I look back and think maybe my role in the DBF and then the task group that's been looking at the, the impact that COVID has had on on operations etc um maybe that's my little contribution that I've been asked to put in I don't know but if anybody can can give me the uh, translation of I'm really impressed yeah. I'm just wondering, what have you seen some good examples of um, not it, not just it being about going to church on Sunday, mm. but but Holy Spirit is doing in other times. Yeah, I mean, I think there's um, there's all sorts of different ways, isn't there, that you can. I think it's about trying to get. It's not about trying to convert people necessarily, but it's about wanting to open the eyes of people that perhaps are non-believers to understand what the message is and what the good news is. And I think, because we all live in a very, very busy, uh, busy world, we all, life increasingly is becoming quite materialistic, self-centred. Um, and so where we can um, provide alternatives for people to to, so they see something and think, oh, like Christians are doing that. Wow, I wouldn't have thought that was, you know, because if you ask, I think most people in the street, you know, describe a Christian, it would be really interesting to, you know, I would imagine most of the viewpoint is that, you know, busybodies, do-gooders, um, probably quite old, 
Um, so it's trying to connect with younger people um, and those that perhaps have not yet come to faith. And it's a challenge, but I think um, that we can we can work towards that. Well, thank you both Sue and Clive and I think that's probably a great place to end and uh, I know Clive you'll have to go to another meeting soon but uh, it's really I'm really really grateful for you being able to share with us uh, in this podcast and just giving your time uh, for us and uh, I hope those people who are listening uh, will be able to uh, to reflect as we probably will myself Christian and Dan as well uh, in, in a little bit later about how 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 big an impact that is having on our area and how we can support that as as local communities and and and, and our churches and and i see that incredible glimpse of the kingdom that you're doing you know the that incredible glimpse of of people all being together equally seen and uh equally treated uh, no matter who you are and that 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 message i think is is an inspiring one for us to hear so thank you continue what the good work that you're doing <laughs> and god bless to you both thank you it's been thank really you. lovely thank you thank you <laughs>